a dean's list at school. I had a car. Wow. Like I was doing really well, yeah. but I was also blackout drinking when I drank, and I wanted it more often than I didn't at that point. But even then, it was just kind of like I could see the bottom from where I was. This, this is my this is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to the comeback. We're back. Very excited to be here on this rainy morning here in Atlanta, Georgia, on the comeback. Um, I am here with my friend Chelsea Johnson. Very excited to have you this morning. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, um, is we have stayed on the, the theme of this from addiction to redemption um, and just telling stories that inspire, that bring hope, and that remind all of us that Jesus is still able to reach the most broken lives and to resurrect them from the ashes and to make something beautiful out of it. And these stories, they, they never, I never get tired of listening to them. And, and I know that, that, that you guys um, never get tired of hearing them either. And the guests that come, you know, just a chance to be able to share God's transforming power. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So Chelsea, um, you are a women's house manager frontline minister uh, doing the work here at, at Good Landing. How's that been? It has been exciting, sort of exhausting sometimes spiritually and mentally, but it has challenged me in such a way that I am I'm not able to do it in my own strength, so it keeps me desperate for more of Jesus and intimacy with Him so that I can in turn reflect that and walk out what I'm preaching. I gotta make sure I don't blow my witness, so I gotta stay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I gotta stay humble and remember that I was so lost once and that I am completely capable of walking these women through what they have to go through right now in this moment to get out on the other side. So true. And, and to, to be able to, um, you know, to have the integrity, make sure that you, don't, you lose credibility. But then that really brings me to, you know, you know, while we're here this morning, I mean, there's a reason why you got into this. I mean, you understand it. You've been there. You know, tell us, you know, about your story. So going back to the beginning. My parents were missionaries. I was um, two months old on a plane to France and lived overseas in England, Ireland, Scotland, France, and Spain until I was about five in a motor home. They were doing like tent revival, living with people who opened their homes to us and um, came back to the States. I'm the oldest of three. My parents were in ministry my whole life growing up and I saw what Jesus could do from a very early age, like miraculous things happening. My brother died when he was born, and my mom prayed with a bunch of people, and he came back to life. And just like, I've seen the power in the name of Jesus and what he's capable of doing. My parents taught me great faith growing up, and I loved Jesus from an early age. And as I got older, I grew up sort of in the world and in the church and kind of leaned more towards the world. I was angry. I was an angry teenager. I kind of had issues with my dad that pushed me outside of what I knew that God wanted me to do, and I didn't care. I was rebellious, and I thrived in rebellion. 
and I spent several years just experimenting with pushing the limits and running away and seeing what I could get away with and um, just ignoring that that little spirit inside me telling me to feed feed it with good things and I fed my flesh. So let me stop you for a second. All right, so so you came up. I mean, you've seen the power of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, know it. I mean, parents that love God. Yeah. Um, raised in that atmosphere where it just wasn't this kind of, you know, lived out in ritual, like you saw God move for yourself. Mm-hmm. You just didn't hear stories of old, right? So you hear that, and, you know, you, you, you respond to that. That's exciting to you. You love it. Like, what, what's the catalytic event or a series of events that gets you to a place where you're thinking, hey, I want to go over to the other side and start, you know, experimenting with, with all the, the darkness, so I think originally it started in anger and resentment. My dad had some anger issues sometimes, and I saw him as this man of God, but then also an angry man. And I was like, okay, man of God, you know, like hypocrite. And I would just get angry, and I like was fueled by the anger, and so that anger led to rebellion. And then I just, I remember I, I drank alcohol for the first time when I was 13, and I drank like an alcoholic. It was Bacardi, I'll never forget. It tasted like bug spray. I was so cool, I didn't need the Diet Coke as a chaser, and I drank until I got drunk that night. And I began just sort of finding this other world because I grew up sort of semi-homeschooled and in Christian schools, and then by the time I was in middle school, I was in three different schools just because I was ADD and I couldn't focus and there's so many things that like kept me sort of separated and set apart so I felt isolated and I saw this whole other world over here with cool people according to like you know a middle schooler and my parents over here just preaching the same thing that always preached me that I understood in my head but didn't know in my heart and so I think that by the time I started drinking at 13 and hanging out with the wrong kids trying to find that edge um it was off to the races. I mean, I I was telling my mom I was at chorus practice and hanging out with my 17-year-old boyfriend when I was 14 and, like, drinking at my friend Sarah's house as often as I could, just lying and manipulating like it was my job. And um, I just, I was, I was torn. I, could, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't see an option to just, like, love Jesus like I could when there was such an appeal to the world Mm -hmm. and I was a teenager (laughs) like I wanted to talk to boys and I had a boyfriend who was 17 and drove a BMW like (laughs) all the the enticements like pulled me out I was enticed by the world and I mean I would spend time in my bible at home alone and I would go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and I ended up going to like lying and saying I was going to church and Instead, going to Wild Bill's, <laughs> which is a horrible, horrible thing. It should not exist. But, you know, as a young person, like, lying and saying, I'm going to church and going to Wild Bill's, just, like, running rampant in rebellion and thinking I was so cool for it. I was afraid. I was afraid of a lot of things, and I masked it in anger and rebellion and alcohol at a very young age. Yeah. And so I grew up in the world and in the church and just 
thinking I had both. Mm -hmm. I had Jesus and I could do this because he loves me, he forgives me, yada, yada, yada. But I wasn't, I wasn't serving him mm -hmm. by any means. That's what hurt so much later when I realized, like, I wasn't saved. I mean, maybe I was. I don't know. Maybe I'd have gone to heaven, but, like, I was not living like he tells me to live. Mm -hmm. I was a drunkard, a thief, a liar. I was all these things, but I was not loving him with my heart, mm -hmm. my soul, my mind, my actions, nothing. So I'm not sure how long I have actually been saved, but I know that he encountered me very young. I mean, I was baptized with the, in the Holy Spirit when I was 10. I was baptized in water when I was like nine. I remember feeling like this is like God's real. Jesus mm -hmm. is really Lord, and I must have it figured out because like he, I can pray in tongues. Like I can, I've seen miracles happen. I know, I know this. This I can do this. So like I must qualify as saved and a Christian. But I just it didn't. Something didn't register. Mm. I hadn't surrendered. That's really interesting too because I, I think you see that where and and it just shows because just because you've had legitimate. God encounters and experiences or had a season that if we don't steward it and mm -hmm. fight for it, that we can go back out and, and still get involved in worse stuff than we could ever imagine. Yeah. And that's scary, you know, because I mean, I think we see it a lot of times and I think, you know, that comes down to, to the, to the breakdown because, you know, you know, if I can just rant for a second, it, it frustrates me whenever I know that if somebody say, you know, they're a bad alcoholic, drug addict, whatever, and then, you know, the, and, and the, the parents, or let's just say they're getting ready to put them into treatment. And all of a sudden, you know, John Doe, you know, goes down to the front on Sunday morning and has, you know, and cries mm -hmm. and repents. And I'm not saying, like, God can do that. And I know that there's stories. But the far majority, you know, out of the 20 million drug addicts in, in America right now, like, that is not how it typically works. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you have a real encounter— and I want to see that, so I've got just got to be careful, like how I say it. But it's like, you know, hey, you know, they they cried and they're serious, you know. And then of course, you know, you get the fall, call a week later, you know, oh, John Doe is now back doing the same old stuff that he was always doing, and then learning how to contend for that. So, um, anyway, I, I just it, it just made me think about, you know, some of those struggles and people realizing of like, okay, great, you you know, like you're in a bad situation. You know, you had a season where you walk with God. Now you're struggling, you know, and, and, and there's a good chance that, you know, you're going to have to go in somewhere. But, but even if you don't, I mean, it is going to take a very intentional, active focus to make sure that you lay hold of truths and put everything in place so that you can flourish. Yeah, 100%. I'm thinking also back, I feel like from such a young age when I was like, oh, Jesus is real, like I hadn't committed like sins, yeah. like like I did later. Like I didn't know what he was washing away with that blood. I didn't have shame and guilt. Like I was a child and a teenager, and I was rebellious and a brat, and you know, hormonal and like just crazy, mm -hmm. a crazy girl teenager. And so I think that I hadn't, I hadn't been discipled. Like I really needed to be taught. Yeah. I wanted to love Jesus. I tried my best, but there wasn't somebody actively teaching me like what it is to be a Christian, what it means to follow Christ, what it is he did for me, that I have open and available access to his throne, that he is holy, righteous, redeemed me. I'm, I'm, he's set apart and like deserves my affection and my time and my devotion, and that he fulfills the things that I was looking for. I didn't get it. I didn't mm -hmm. get it. And I know that from 17 to 18, I was in three different rehabs and jailed twice. 
and still kind of under the impression I didn't have a problem. Like, I didn't even realize it was so short a span of time until I got sober at 21. When I walked, um, I met a guy who was in AA, and he was two years sober, and we were dating long distance. I was in Milledgeville, he was in Dahlonega, and I would go to meetings with him and listen. And I went through, like, blackout phases, you know, went to college. I was in college at the time in Georgia Military College, and I was blackout drinking regularly, but that's what everybody did. We were in college, Mm -hmm. and nobody really thought twice about it. They're just like, oh, no, this what, like, why are you saying you're sorry? Like, we all did. When I tried to make amends later, they're like, wow, whatever. And I was like, no, it was not good. <laughs> it was bad. Whatever. So um, I know that I spent time with him going to meetings, and I would just listen, and nothing ever registered. I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm just here for support when they asked me, like, what I'm doing. And nothing hit me until several, um, about a year later, I was sitting with a woman, and telling her why I wasn't an alcoholic. I was like, no, I don't drink every day. You know, I don't sit under a bridge. I was looking at the steps, and they looked appealing to me. I'm like, I think I should do a fourth and fifth step because, you know, I've been through some stuff, and I've done drugs and drank, but I'm, I'm not an alcoholic, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not a drug addict. Um, and she just kind of, like, looked at me, and I was, like, telling her why I wasn't, and she kind of just said, well, why don't you just not drink to tonight? And I was like, not a problem, <laughs> you know, like, whatever. And I went home, and I... And I lived with this boyfriend at the time, and who was sober, and so I hid my alcohol because he was, you know, the alcoholic, and I didn't mm-hmm. want him to look at it, when really I was hiding how much I had. Mm-hmm. I had a bottle of wine in my closet, I had tequila and vodka hidden separately, like, I kind of, like, looked at it that night and was like, mm, maybe... Looking like an alcoholic. Maybe it's not so good. <laughs> so, blackout drinking when I drank, and I wanted it more often than I didn't at that point, but even then, it was just kind of like, I could see the bottom from where I was. And I didn't want to hit it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to drink. I'm going to do these steps. I'm going to work the steps. I'm going to not drink. And I'm going to do it 100% so that if it doesn't work, I can say I tried and then I'm fine or whatever. And so I stayed sober four and a half years in AA and working the steps and going to meetings. And the whole time I felt like there was something missing. And uh, I was kind of miserable in my own way. Like I was masking it with like friendship and sponsorship and community and being of service. But... I knew that I was missing Jesus, and at that point I would sit in meetings and I would tell them I'm a Christian, but I wouldn't tell them they needed to be. And finally, fast forward, about four and a half years after being sober, I was in another relationship. I realized that I was miserable. I was like, I did not get sober to be miserable. So I decided to drink later. I I didn't want to drink. I just didn't want to stay sober like that. So I told my boyfriend. He wasn't really excited about it, and then he finally was supportive and... I drank, and it took me, like, four hours to drink my first glass of wine. And I remember being like, well, this isn't bad. I'm fine. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like it turns out I was just young and immature. And so um, within that year and a half of drinking, I literally (sighs) hit a bottom that I never thought I could reach. And, I mean, destroyed every ounce of integrity and dignity I had and drank through 30 grand that I thought was a gift from God, but ultimately I think was a trap from the enemy. <laughs> and uh, I got real humble real quick. Um, but I I decided to get sober again, and I went on an encounter overseas and like had no money and no plan, and I was in the red light district doing a story on human trafficking alone, and like Jesus revealed himself to me on so many levels there and just like showed me how much better it is when I literally relinquish control to him because I'm not in control anyways 
But the more that I would give a little, he would just blow my mind and supply everything I needed and always back it up with scripture and people who knew him and knew his word and was just like wooing me and romancing me. And um, it was amazing. It changed my life. That was like the catalyst for ultimate change. So I came back and I was depressed because I was back in the U.S. and things weren't as exciting and I wasn't being used by God and mm. I ended up drinking a lot more and that's where I really hit my bottom and I know that I got um, back into meeting. I started going back to meetings and I was sitting in there and I was like, okay, I know I can be sober. I know who I can be because I was sober for four and a half years before and I know that this is not who I want to be, who I was, who I'd become, was not who God intended me to be. So I started going back to meetings and I wanted to find a sponsor who was a Christian because I knew that like Jesus had encountered me in a way that I wasn't going to rob him of the glory. I was torn about working the steps because I knew that as I started surrendering and he was changing me, I just had this desire to read the Bible and to listen to sermons and spend my time with him. And so I did. And as I um, started collecting time and sobriety, I would go to meetings and I would sit there and I would listen to the people that were talking and I would pray for them because I couldn't get anything out of them like I, at, at some point I became delivered and I was no longer like I had no desire for alcohol I knew that God had changed me in some way and so I also felt like I needed to stay rooted in community of some sort so I would sit in meetings and I would listen to people and I would pray for them because they had nothing to offer me they were free from addiction to alcohol but in bondage to fear and anxiety and all these other things and I'm like Jesus you can help them you can do this why am I here and then I'd sit in a meeting and f like for 45 minutes I would listen to people hate on Jesus and like someone would start it and I'd be like oh Lord why am I here and then afterwards if I have five minutes left to go I would say I'm Chelsea and I'm a Christian remember <laughs> thinking well, I'm gonna speak the truth even if my voice shakes and about 15 other people including the one who started the whole rampage about hating Christians and Christianity thanked me afterwards and so they were really glad I was back so at that point being back in meetings I knew that it was not going to be like it was before I was going to preach the gospel I was going to preach the truth because I knew that there was a deliverer who wanted to save them and I could not sit back there and not speak on that behalf so as I was going to these meetings, I was praying for people while I was in there and praying with them afterwards. And I was torn and I was like, Jesus, I know that you're using me every time I come here, but I don't have a lot of time. So I don't know if you want me to be here or not. I don't know if I want to work. I wanted to work the steps so that I could take women through the steps again and like introduce them to Jesus and to tell my story unapologetically about who he was and what he'd done. But I didn't want to rob Jesus of the glory for delivering me. I didn't want to put it on the steps or a sponsor or community. I wanted it to be like, hey, no, like Jesus saved me. I didn't have to do anything other than surrender. Working the steps is good, and I did that before, but at the end of the day, like, he needs the glory and nobody else. So I was torn about that, and one day in the meeting, I was praying, and I was like, God, just please tell me, do you want me to work these steps and, and sponsor women? And he kind of asked me a question, would you tell them that they could have any God that they want of their understanding? And I said, absolutely not. So there's no way I'm going to do that this time. And so I decided to spend my time elsewhere doing work on the street, just loving on people and evangelizing. So, you know, th this is a really interesting topic right here and things that I've struggled with in my own life, you know, as a Christian and looking at the steps, looking at AA, 
in NA and, you know, all, all the other ones is that they're um, – because I love the steps. I think it's an incredible systematic approach to recovery. Do you think that somebody can be a Christian and be an active member of AA? I do believe it's possible, yes. I believe that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was written out of the book of James, and a lot of the steps are in line with biblical Mm -hmm. (laughs) truth. And um, so, yes, I just know that ultimately I was having issues with claiming to be an alcoholic, and my mom would be like, well, tell him you're saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And I'm like, well, that kind of sets me apart and, like, the whole part of unity and everything. Like, I don't want to stand out, Mom. I just don't want to claim that. And I didn't want – it became like they talk about – I don't think that you can be a comfortable Christian mm-hmm. in the rooms of AA because you can't comfortably sit and listen to somebody talk about how a doorknob or a tree is their higher power when you know true power. Mm-hmm. And so – I saw it as my mission field, and ultimately, after just pleading with God whether or not He wanted me there or not, and hearing that He really didn't need me there, He could use me wherever I was, I chose to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so, after I told my sponsor, like, Jesus is Lord, He is not uh, a pick-and-choose kind of like God, like, we would go and be, she'd try to sponsor me and I would end up telling her like, no, you're wrong. This is like truth. And like, it was just not helpful on so many levels. So I told her like, I'm going to pull out of AA. And she kind of like belittled me like, well, maybe you'll get there spiritually one day when you understand that there's more paths. And I was like, I won't, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and just humbly like bowed out and, um, transitioned into just seeking God with all my heart and spending about seven months in my in my room, my roommate always knocking, asking me to watch movies with her, and just saying like, "No, I'm gonna I'm gonna like worship alone and read my Bible and watch sermons and pray, and just looking crazy to everybody outside, but mm-hmm. being completely content with just being discipled by Jesus, who was a an amazing teacher mm-hmm. and who had already taught me so much up until that point." I think it's interesting too, and I mean, and and I don't want to. I mean, we could probably, and I think it might even be worth coming back doing another episode where we really drill in some of these points. But I had seasons in my life. I mean, I came up, I mean, I started an NA meeting that's still going on today mm-hmm. called the Carpe PM meeting back in Clarksville, Mississippi. <laughs> I started it back in like 2001, and I think it's, it's, it's one of the larger meetings and more active meetings back then. And so I look back on my time there, and like I said, when I, when I talk about a systematic approach, like, there is something powerful about saying, okay, alcohol and dope kick my tail. And then if somebody, for whatever reason, you know, doesn't know God and they have to, you know, come to believe and there's kind of a process, you know, whatever, and then you're making a decision to turn your will and your life over. I guess the thing that has always concerned me is that, you know, if you create this God— in your own image or your your own ideas, right? Like I love his mercy and his mm-hmm. grace and I love the fact that he's cool with all my, you know, whatever, right? You just, mm-hmm. it's kind of Mr. Potato Head and you get to pick and choose. But then in reality, it's like, no, that's that's not the God is he's revealed himself. That's where I have an issue. Now, I, I have been like, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm talking, I was ruthless for a while. I mean, especially whenever I first got saved, but now I look back and I do see believers that genuinely love the Lord 
and can go into a program and, you know, can work these steps. And there's nothing inherently wrong, you know, it's, it's all good stuff. It's all just straight biblical stuff, you know, that he pulled from the Oxford group or whatever. Um, but, you know, I guess now I, I have taken a, a less, like, like hard approach on it, you know, and I appreciate the work of, of AA and NA and all the people that have gotten clean through there. Um, and, you know, and people, you know, and staff and, you know, our clients that go to meetings and all that kind of stuff like that too. But there is, you know, this, this, this kind of weird tension on, you know, as a, like as a real Christian, I love Jesus, my loyalty and my allegiance is to him. And I just want to make sure that I don't ever get put in something where that can't be fully expressed. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, those are, as I just kind of process out loud on here, but I have, you know, and some people have gotten weird with me on, okay, well, you know, you, you don't call yourself an addict anymore. I'm like, well, look, dude, like, I'm not confused with what happens. Like, I know, like, I know that I've been set free. I'm a new creation. But if I go put crystal meth back in this body, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I ain't going to Bible study, right? Like, I know for certain what, what's going to happen. And just because, but I choose to identify in my future and who I am in Christ, then I don't need this constant reminder that, you know, I'm some bound drug addict, yeah. you know, so th- those have just kind of been things. But again, I also have seen people that identify, that call themselves an addict and stuff like that, and I don't see it, you know, really, you know, I mean, it's just kind of, right. like, I just, it's not a hill that I that I want to personally die on. Yeah. So I don't know. I know I loved AA. I literally went to big book studies. I hosted the first Eastern Area Convention of Young People NAA in Atlanta in 2012. I went to New York to put on a bid with 12 other people. Like, I loved the steps. I loved the traditions. I loved the principles and the concept and all that. And it serves a purpose. And so I don't want to be too obnoxious in thinking that, like, I mean, I feel like it's a blessing that I have eyes to see who God is. Yeah. That is a gift. And so I know that some people need steps in order to get there. And the steps are in the order that they're in for a reason. I just don't by any means want to feel (coughs) confined to that room. Like I don't have to sit in a meeting to practice my first step every day. Every time you walk into a meeting, you are practicing your first step and that's good. And it just becomes like almost never ending. And like, I felt like God was calling me out into the world to tell them about Jesus, mm-hmm. not to sit in a meeting like every day listening to the same people for years talk about the same bondage they're in. Like, I want to lay hands on sick and I want to preach the gospel yeah. because I am free and I yeah. don't have to sit here. And that's why I was so torn about staying or not. But ultimately when I pulled out of meetings and I just like really was like, y'all, Jesus is Lord. He delivered me. If you need me, you know where to find me. Like, I'll pray with you. I'll come find you, whatever. I left and I just was asking God to please give me people who wanted to hear the truth, who could, there's this culture going on of like, oh, well, I respect what you believe. Cool. I like, I'm totally happy that you found Jesus, but they don't understand that like, it's more than just like something you can respect. Like it's truth. It's not subjective, it's truth. And I wanted the truth. And so no matter how bad it hurt, I wanted to find it. And I didn't care how I felt when I found it. I wanted to adjust my behavior according to what he says is truth. And 
I just know that he revealed himself to me. Like, you draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Yeah. And the thing with the, the AA meetings, like, if I walk with the Spirit, I'm not going to desire, I'm not going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. And so the more that I would seek God, the more I looked like him and, and felt like him, and I had a burden for people that were lost, and I'd find myself in my house just walking around interceding on behalf of the Christians being persecuted in China, <laughs> all over the world, or wherever, and, like, he was changing me. I didn't have to do anything other than try to get to know him yeah. and spend time with him and to say no to all my... I had to literally cut ties with all my old friends, and I had to be okay with that because I was pleading with them to know Jesus and to believe me that there's something to it. It's not just religion. It's relationship, which I already knew. But I really, like, I really kind of blew my witness for years Mm -hmm. because I thought I was saved. And I would talk about Jesus and then end up drunk talking about Jesus. Mm, Yeah. So I had to, like, I was like, God, I will do whatever it takes to make up for that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. And I think that he is sovereign, and he can reach you in an AA meeting, in a ditch. He can remove your high in a moment if he wants to. And I just, I have to believe that he was using me somehow or another, because I still loved. I never denied Jesus was Lord. I still loved people according to what I knew was best, like, regardless of how I felt. Like, I've had this great faith my whole life that I'm so, so grateful for it might be one of my gifts. Like I have faith and, yeah. and I have practiced it recklessly and he has recklessly shown up in my life for so many, so many things. And so at this point, I just know that I was desperate to preach the gospel to people that wanted truth and didn't care how bad it hurt to hear. And I was preaching at people in Chick-fil-A drive throughs and gas stations. The days I felt the most unspiritual, he'd tell me to tell somebody that he loved them. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to. You know, I don't feel like it right now. And then I would walk out the gas station without doing it and turn right back around and tell them that he loved them because... It's wonderful news, and I can't ask him to send me and not do what he tells me to do. And so he just really revealed himself to me in so many ways and showed me that he's a teacher and he's patient and he's jealous for my affection and my time, and he's worthy of it. So I did what I had to to set myself apart, and he really changed me in the process. Yeah, he definitely did, and you have been one of the most effective house managers, staff, um, that has ever walked through the doors of Good Landing and to, you know, for these women to have, you know, a season to be able to watch you live it out, you know, for you to be able to get in there, get in the trenches, be willing to get your hands dirty and and help them understand this. It's just been a joy to be able to watch that and to be able to run with you. Um, I know soon that you're going to be transitioning to the mission field mm. and that's exciting and we can't wait to get behind that. But, um, You know, I want to get you back on here. I know there's so much more to share about your story, but I feel like that we hit on something interesting and controversial. And as you listen to this, you know, understand we're processing. You know, as you, you know, whether you you hear this and 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 it invoked, you know, some type of emotion or frustration or you know, we don't see the 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 picture clearly and and whatever you hold near and dear, but just be willing to um, you know, be challenged and whatever God is is wanting to accomplish in your life, you know, let him let him shake stuff and even systems that may have worked for you for years if he wants to draw you into something deeper. Because my story, very similar to Chelsea's, is that once I got to know him and got you know involved in you know what what kingdom life is like and really allowing him to um, 
you know, to be able to, to, to live through us that it, it just brings on just such an incredible journey with God. So you guys be blessed. We love y'all. It was awesome, Chelsea, having you on this morning. We're going to get you back on here. We'll see y'all next week. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.